Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is Need to Know. Real talk about the reality of unidentified aerial phenomena. From Australia, Ross Coltart. From the US, Bryce Zabel. Hello and welcome to Need to Know. My name's Ross Coulthard from Down Under in a small town near Sydney, Australia. And in Los Angeles, my co-host and good buddy, Bryce Zabel. Bryce, you're just back from a holiday in Italy, I hear. Well, I, my family had some friends uh, who had a daughter getting married, and we used that as an opportunity to go to Sorrento, and, and I was brave enough to drive the Amalfi Coast, and I survived, so I'm feeling pretty good about that, feeling confident. Did you see any retrieved flying saucers while you're over there? There's that great story about oh. the Mussolini flying saucer that the Americans allegedly retrieved during the end of the Second World War. Well, it, it's, it's an interesting story. I mean, first of all, um, it illustrates that if you uh, look into any particular country, you find all the UFO lore for it. So the Italian UFO lore includes uh, that 1933 recovery, supposedly, of a crashed flying saucer. Mussolini was in power, and the guy he put in charge of looking into it was Marconi, the radio man. So it, it, it kind of an interesting story. Whether it was recovered or not by the Americans after the war, I don't know. But I thought there was one other really interesting uh, story that comes out of Italy. Apparently, uh, 68 years ago this month, in October of uh, 1954, there was a, a major soccer game being played, and a UFO, like a cigar, people described it like a Cuban cigar, came over the soccer stadium, all play stopped. There were 10,000 people in the stadium and there's pictures from the time and everyone's kind of looking up at the sky. Uh, and to this day, you know, people r refer to that uh, incident. It happened in Milan and it was a, a demonstrably big deal. And then the other final piece of the Italian uh, UFO puzzle is contemporary. Uh, there's a, it, we all know the Vatican is an independent country uh, basically inside of Italy. There's another one called San Marino, a little uh, country inside uh, Italy that uh, the United Nations is being petitioned to turn into the, the sort of home of the United Nations uh, uh, UFO uh, UAP investigation. So that's my Italy report uh, for now. So while you've been swanning around the fine beaches of Sorrento and the, the Amalfi Coast, the rest of us have been doing some work, mate. And in the uh, segments following, we've got quite dramatic revelations from the war in Ukraine. We have a former British soldier who is going to come on the program, and he's not talking about what it was that the Ukrainian astronomers saw. He's talking about what he and his colleagues saw in combat. During a battle, they looked up and they saw what they believe was something highly anomalous. More on that later. But I thought we'd just catch up with the week's yeah. news because there's been a lot happening. And uh, my favorite bit of news from the last few weeks, Bryce, is the logo that was oh. pulled. The, um, the uh, aviation manager, the national intelligence manager for aviation for the uh, office defense, uh, whatever it is, ODNI. Office and, of the uh, Director of National Intelligence. Intelligence, yes. Yeah. And um, 
Very, very interestingly, one minute they put a logo up, a brand new logo, which has a flying saucer in it, a classic disc-shaped flying saucer. Everybody gets excited. The UFO community jumps up and down and says this is some sort of confirmation from an official intelligence agency in the Defence Department. And then just as mysteriously, it gets taken down. And we are meant to believe that this logo with the dot mill url was errantly posted which i think is a flying ton of bullshit i just don't believe it <laughs> it, sure, it sure sounds like it i mean here's the thing though uh, this thing did happen happened while i was off uh, running around italy as you pointed out but uh it was up for a while and it is a, a logo that it literally um shows a part of north america and a part of south america and you see three things flying over it one of them i believe is uh, a commercial uh jet another is a uh, uh, a, a fighter jet and then a third looks kind of like a, a, a triangle kind of craft but literally out in left field over the ocean uh to the left is what looks like a ufo um and uh it, it, i mean it is a ufo it's it's a classic ufo and uh you know their their argument was well we put it out by accident honestly i've had enough experience and i'm sure you have too where those kind of things are, something like that coming out by accident would be very rare. Now, on the other hand, uh, we certainly know that uh, logos over the years uh, are often used and put some crazy stuff in them. Uh, and so you can't really say, well, that proves anything other than it's kind of it's kind of bogus. It just sounds bogus. And and people reacted to it that way. Now, Bryce, I think you're catching up by you're doing some work next week at the International UFO Congress. Do you want to tell us about that? Sure. I just want to give a shout out to our friends over at the IUFOC, which uh, they, they throw a, a yearly uh, a conference and it's always been fantastic. I've spoken there uh, several times and uh, they had to go into pandemic hiding for a couple of years. Last year it was virtual. This is a time where people are coming back and there's some really great uh, people speaking at it. It goes from, I believe, October 12th through the 17th. Um, and I'm speaking on October 15th, uh, which is a Saturday. So I encourage anyone who's near Mesa, Arizona, who wants to come and talk a little need to know to show up and we'll, we'll do that. Uh, my, the topic of my speech is called, um, estimate of the situation, something we've used before. And then the question is, uh, will 2023 be sizzle or fizzle? And you and I have talked about that as well. And I'm going to, I guess, uh, now I've set myself up for the standard. I have to take a position on it. So I'll be doing that. So, so what are you going to say? Are you going to say fizzle or sizzle? Well, I think we may, maybe we disagree on this. I think there are sufficient things in uh, motion right now that I look at it as a sizzle. I think we're going to have a sizzle. I just think there's too much uh, going on. Um, but I've got some, you know, nuance to that. Now I know you think 2023 is going to be a, a very big year, but at the same time, you're taking the position you think it might just fizzle out. So, how do you how do you square that circle? Okay, let me explain. What I'm hearing is there is a considerable walk back at the moment about making any admissions publicly. So I do think that the Congress in private session is going to hear from whistleblowers. I don't think there's much doubt about that because what we do know is that the um, National Defence Authorisation Act will probably be passed for 2023 by the end of December. And if that happens, and if the UAP whistleblower provisions survive the scrutiny of um, both the House and the Congress, then you will have provisions in place to protect people who I know are wanting to come forward. And Chris Mellon has said the same thing, and so has um, Gary Nolan, who said that he's actually well, spoken. He told me that he'd actually spoken to whistleblowers. And I've spoken to people who've been approached by individuals in various parts of government asking them whether they would be willing to testify. So I, I do think there is a move on for testimony to happen. The big question is, will this leak? And well, uh, yeah, I think it will. I think uh, I, let's split uh, this uh, 
let's split this one more time. The sizzle part of it will probably go most effectively to behind closed door hearings in Congress. And we'll feel like it's a fizzle because we will not get the public hearing that we want where some of those same people come forward. I hope that's not the case. I hope there are uh, authentic public hearings. But I'll tell you one thing. Uh, you mentioned it, the, the National Defense Authorization Act, uh, which was passed last it's passed every year. And by the way, it has passed 61 years in a row because this is sort of the holy grail. You don't let national defense uh, fall by the wayside. So it's expected that it will pass in December. Remember last year's, uh, which was sort of the Rubio, um, Gillibrand and uh, Gallegos uh, uh, amendment really had some tough language in it. It demanded that yearly uh, unclassified report that is due this year by October 31st. Well, this language this year is tougher in many, many respects. It's reorganizing things. It's demanding uh, people look into the history of this from the intelligence point of view. Uh, it's uh, trying to address people that have a problem with uh, a, a non-disclosure uh, uh, statement that they've had to uh, sign. So I think we're in for... Uh, a time when at least there are some people in Congress who, if they don't get their way, are going to be pretty damn pissed about it. And uh, so I think uh, things are happening. And also, again, as we've talked about um, several times on this show, uh, we're coming up on October 31st of this month. And that is the last possible moment this year's public report is supposed to be filed. Remember, the last public report was on June 25th of 2021. And uh, it, it kind of knocked uh, some people aside and said, they're real. Uh, we don't make them. And China and Russia probably don't make them. So what the follow-up report will be, I don't know. But hold on, it's coming. And it's coming eight days before a midterm election. Yeah, we can but hope. And as you've, I think, previously noted, whatever happens in the elections, we're going to get a pro-UAP senator. True? Yeah. Well, in Florida, we certainly are, uh, you know, with all the terrible news coming out of Florida about their weather and everything, there's still a very uh, bitter uh, campaign going on in Florida for the Senate seat that is currently held by Marco Rubio, and he's being challenged by Democrat Val Demings. Now, what's interesting about that is that Rubio, as as we all know, has been very outspoken on the UAP issue. Uh, go figure. But he's been the one who, with uh, Gillibrand, uh, reached across the aisle. They had a bipartisan meeting of the minds on last year's NDAA, and he's been very uh, open in discussing his concerns about UAP and national security in various interviews. Well, Val Demings is a former prosecutor. She was on one of the intelligence uh, committees and her statements uh, after the May 17th uh, public hearing that was held in Congress were very strong. She basically said, look, as a prosecutor, I'm all about protecting uh, people. I'm about uh, safety for uh, constituents. And certainly that is how I'm going to approach the UAP issue. We want to know answers since there's obviously an increasing amount of these reports and we want to know where they're coming from and what, and if they're a threat to us. So I think either way, Florida is going to get a Senator that's going to be big on this topic. Now, while we're talking about what might happen in Congress and the potential for public hearings, one of the witnesses, of course, whom we've all speculated we'd love to see put under oath and deposed is Admiral Tom Wilson. And there's been a significant development in the Wilson notes uh, for the listeners and viewers who aren't familiar with this. There is a story about a leaked or a, a document that came from the estate of Edgar Mitchell after Edgar Mitchell died called the Wilson Memo or the Wilson Notes. And it's a series of notes which purportedly represent a conversation between a Department of Defence astrophysicist called Eric Davis, Dr. Eric Davis, and a former director of the Defence Intelligence Agency, a man called Admiral Thomas Tom Wilson. And the, the leaked transcript of their conversation basically details how Tom Wilson allegedly discovered and was subsequently denied full access to a incredible conspiracy, a kind of a black budget reverse engineering program hidden deep within the national security state um, that claims, these documents claim that the Pentagon or someone in the intelligence community or more likely private aerospace company that's been gifted this material has in its possession an intact craft, a vehicle of non-human origin. Now, I'm telling you all this in the preamble because it's important that in those notes, 
there is mention of a man called Oak Shannon. And Oak is a former U.S. Navy veteran physicist, used to work at the uh, Los Alamos National Laboratories, and he's a key part of these allegedly uh, leaked notes which um, record this conversation between uh, Tom Wilson and uh, Eric Davis. Because Tom Wilson, to my friend and colleague uh, Billy Cox, and also to me, specifically denied knowing Oak Shannon. Right. He said he was unknown to Tom Wilson. And in an interview with Jay Anderson of Project Unity, Oak Shannon has basically put it definitively on the record that he, he does know Admiral Wilson. Moreover, he's confirmed on the record that the, um, the claims made in the notes about a conversation he had with uh, Tom Wilson to set up the meeting with Eric Davis and to find out about Eric Davis and whether or not he was a good human being to talk to, this happened. And Eric Davis allegedly, um, uh, in the notes, they went on and discussed the, the, mm. these things. And what's really important is Oak says that he really did discuss with Tom Wilson the reality that a recovered non-human vehicle is being studied in extreme secrecy by this secretive group, the program, somewhere somewhere inside government or somewhere inside aerospace. Now, that's a long and involved explanation and probably not told very well, but it's significant because Oak Shannon has gone on the record and he's a very important cog to giving the Wilson memo notes credibility. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's important. I still don't accept that the notes are a, a definitive, true and accurate record because, of course, they are strenuously denied by Admiral Tom Wilson and conspicuously, Dr. Eric Davis has never corroborated or confirmed the notes, but neither has he denied the notes are a genuine document. So we're getting closer, I think, to a moment in Congress where people will be able to be deposed, and that's when it's going to start getting interesting. It would be great to see whether Oak Shannon is prepared to testify and whether Eric Davis and Tom Wilson are willing to testify and say what they know. Uh I, I listen. It's a it's a story that we need to be covering. Uh, I kind of volunteer us to in a future episode do the whole episode about it. And frankly, maybe we should do a dramatic interp and read those notes uh, word for word because I think <laughs> sure. that would be interesting. Uh, you know, just a quick addition to that. Uh, during the May seventeenth public uh, hearings in the House of Representatives, Representative Mike Gallagher out of uh, Wisconsin actually had the Wilson Davis memo put into the congressional record. That doesn't mean anything per se, because you can put anything in the congressional record, but he put it in. And um, let's face it, uh, what you suggested happening, Ross, is would be if Congress had any balls about this thing, they drag the whole lot of them in and they would uh, put them under oath and then they would uh, ask them to tell the story and they would cross reference it and we get some answers. Now, speaking of answers, just last month, or in fact, in the last few weeks, there's been revelations from Ukraine, from mm. Ukrainian astronomers who claim they've seen anomalous objects in the sky. Now, I know there's been rebuttal and debunking of that, notably by Avi Loeb and also by the Academy of Sciences in Ukraine. But coming up in the next segment, we have an interview with a former British soldier, John Chapman, who's going to tell us how he and his team, the reconnaissance team behind the lines in Russian held territory in Ukraine, looked up during a battle and saw a UAP. Mm. That's coming up next on Need to Know. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So welcome back to Need to Know. Now, we've got something very interesting for you. As I mentioned in the first segment, there has been some controversy about claims made by Ukrainian astronomers in the past few weeks that they've seen anomalous objects in the skies over Ukraine. Not surprising, perhaps, in light of the fact that there's any number of aeroplanes, drones, weaponry flying in and around the skies. But I'm going to introduce you now to a chap called John Chapman. He's a former British Army soldier. G'day, John. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. How are you in Australia? Very well. And uh, I'll put you on to Bryce as well from Los John, Angeles. We appreciate you coming on. This is a, this is an important story. And, and frankly, uh, it couldn't be more timely. Can you please give us a, an account of who you are and your service history of what you feel comfortable telling us and uh, give us an idea of how and when you got to Ukraine. I was in the Princess of Wales's Royal Regiment as a reconnaissance soldier. So that's what I specialised in. Um, shapes of vehicles, aeroplanes, you name it. That was our job to report on, to send up the chain to uh, our command structure to know what it was dealing against. So that's sort of my main role. And I got out and become a close protection officer, bodyguard, as you might call it. And then um, from there, I sort of gave up that sort of uh, job to become a bit more normal and become a builder. But I also, when I went down that route, I kept my eyes on geopolitics and stuff like that. And um, obviously the annexation of Crimea in Ukraine. And I thought it was going to end badly. And then obviously the build up on the border uh, in February, and then they invaded. And um, from there, I, lo I looked at what was going on. And the catalyst for me going to the Ukraine was there was a, I think it was a BMP, run over a, a car. And I think it was in Kharkiv, I believe. And I thought, I can't have that. I can't, I can't sit here and watch. Bearing in mind, I've been to Bosnia and places like that, and I know what ethnic cleansing and how that can be. And I thought, I've got to do something. And um, I asked my wife, and uh, she wasn't happy for me to go, obviously. And she said to me, um, you, you've been there for about two weeks, because I, well, a, a week, in fact, because I said on a Monday and I was gone by the Saturday. So she gave me a sort of um, blessings, as it were, with gritted teeth and I and I went across um I went through Poland and then across the border which is all arranged through the Ukrainian embassy in um London so the the network to get across was all arranged and we went to a, a sort of a transit camp Yarev and um that's where we sort of all the people arriving from foreign nationals. John, John they, I want to just clarify this because I think some people probably are having the same question I'm having. Were were you part of any official group at that time? Were you part of any nation's military or were you? No, 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 no. We okay. was all ex-military. However, okay. there was a few, um, how we say, Walter Mitties who say they was in things like paintballers and airsofters and all these type of people trying trying to get in, but they were soon weeded out. You got in, though, um, with other people, or did you go in by yourself and then... I, 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 I went on my own, okay. and because of the, the migration of people coming from all over the world, obviously there's only so many airheads in Poland, and obviously the groups were meeting at airports, and then I didn't know any, any person there. I went on my own, and then... Um, because we met at airports going through the same route through the embassies, the transport was arranged and you just got on a bus. You didn't know anybody. And then you was taken to this camp and then you obviously you build friendships on the bus or meet people, but I didn't know anyone to go with. And then we went to, like I said, went to Yarev. And from there we were sort of divided in our, our previous military experience and perhaps people who didn't have any. So the people who didn't have any, they we're also going to join the Legion, but they went into sort of a, a training, sort of six weeks of training. So I never saw, saw any, any of them again. John, can I just interrupt for a moment, just for the benefit of our listeners and viewers? I just want to state, yeah. John, John has 
provided me with documentation on background, which we'll not be revealing, which more than substantiates the fact of his British service history, which is exemplary, and also the fact that he worked with the Ukrainian army to serve in Ukraine. Now, one of the things that I want to get to, John, is your role. You were part of a team called Bravo Team, working, I think, with uh, a former uh, Republic of Korea Special Forces guy, and you were behind the lines at different times doing reconnaissance and targeting uh, Russian enemy inside that area. Really gutsy stuff. Just before we get to the detail of your UAP sighting, which I understand happened in April, just give us an account of, we're talking to the video that you've already sent me that we'll probably cut into the um We'll probably cut into the story at this stage, but yeah. give us a description of the kind of work you were doing. There's a video where you're clearly behind the lines, and in one case, the Russians are literally just outside. How close were you? Well, basically, a concrete wall. <laughs> we was um, on that on that video clip. Um, we were sent out to basically find the russians and 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 get some information on uh where they're at and what strengths they are so we uh moved through a a chosen route to a a certain building uh that we thought which we deemed would give us a good line of sight uh for the missile systems we had and also for our um small arms and um on doing that um we got into the building and this is sort of a, a, a walk-in reconnaissance. We hadn't seen the building only on a map. So it was quite, you know, normally we like to recce everything to make sure it's safe before you use it. But it was, um, yeah, it was a uh, sort of something we wouldn't normally do. Anyway, we entered the building, we cleared the building and then we found at one side, there was a, um massive hole that a tank had put a hole in a wall and we thought that would be a good position to shoot from our um in-laws and then um as one of our operators spotted a a bmp with some infantry he was going to um fire that projectile but they were spotted and uh unfortunately one of our operators otto was shot in the shoulder and we had to clear that building. Um, but so you're, behind, you're behind. You're behind enemy lines. You've got yeah. a wounded operator. I mean, <laughs> this is pretty hairy stuff. And you're a foreign national. Uh, I mean, you would have been under no illusions about what would have happened to you if the Russians had actually found you. Well, I'd have had to keep one for myself, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's hairy stuff. And. I can honestly say the adrenaline is going through your body and it keeps you going. And they followed us back basically to the, to the Ukrainian line. So we was getting chased by a BMP, which you can hear firing on the video. You can also hear small arms firing at us all the time. We've got Otto to get back. And so we had to fire maneuver back. And then when we got back to, the safe, relatively safety of this Ukrainian lines, which is really just a block of flaps. We had to deal with artillery as well coming in on us. Um, so it was a bit of a hairy day. Um, now, I only cite that video because it's a very good example of what you guys were going through. Now, are, are you able things... to share that video right now, Ross? Yeah, I can. I, I, yeah, I, I, can, I think we I should share that. that. Um, and, and, and while he's doing that, uh, John, let me just ask you a question. Um, you're part of the Bravo team. Uh, what is that? I think people are probably saying, well, how many people are on it? What different nationalities, um, you know, uh, where did you catch your mission? You know, just how did that so that we can understand when you tell us the rest of the story, what's going on there? Well, the, the beginning of the war, everything was catching up. And it was all sort of all hands to the pump, bearing in mind because of what Kiev was, the the Russians obviously come down from Belarus. And I think what they were thinking of, we cut off the head of Kiev, everything else will tumble. So that was their sort of plan. And it was like the 
the little guy in the Dutch dike, all fingers to the holes. Mm. And um, we was just, basically, I got there, I think it was on the, on the Saturday in Kiev, and on the Sunday, I was on the front line. It was that quick. It, it, the, the situation on the ground was so fluid that we was just thrust into anywhere. And as, as for your other question, what sort of nationalities you were, um, I, we had French Foreign Legion lads, ex-lads. One of them was Finnish. One of them was actually Ukrainian. Um, we had Americans. We had obviously British. We had Koreans. And we had a lot of experience in our groups that's in conflicts all over all over the world. And we was more than capable to deal with the threat of the Russians. So on the night in, in question that we're about to get into, um, how many people were part of Bravo team? Bravo team was eight guys at the time. Okay. However, there was another team that was a part of the Legion who we didn't have any association with because we work for the uh, Ukrainian intelligence. They just happened to be on the ground at the crossing point, the footbridge we wanted to cross outside Irpin. So they would have seen it as well, but I have no um, contact with any of those guys. I knew none, none of them. Um, again, they were just, you know, another legion sort of outfit. What I understand happened was that there's a crossing point uh, yeah. in Kiev across the river from the no, Russian Irpin. side. In Irpin. Irpin. And where Irpin, is it? Yeah. It's on the suburbs uh, outside. Yeah, Irpin's on the western um, suburbs of Kiev. So it's like a little city of its own. Um, and it, it's got a, uh, a river on the eastern edge of Irpin, which we had to cross, which we'll come on to in a minute. Now, is that there, there was three crossing points. So there was a bridge, which is blown, as in a, a, like a flyover for cars and tru trucks and so forth, a railway bridge, which is gone, and a footbridge, which hasn't. So... Um, the first op we went on, which I sent you a video as well, we, um, on our way back from our first op, there was a little garden centre by a roundabout. Well, I think it was a garden centre, that sort of place. It was night anyway. And um, we was using that as a holding area, waiting for our turn to cross the bridge, uh, which was blown. And basically, we'd go underneath the bridge, there was planks put across the river, and we'd, we'd, we'd cross it. But unknown to us, we was followed by a drone. Now, we couldn't see, hear this drone, total pitch black, and we're sort of sitting in this sort of garden. So now I've, I've pulled up a plastic chair, and I'm sat on this plastic chair, and I'm, eat, I'm eating a wafer, you know, a few lads getting a few uh, drink of water, having a fag because we've not been able to for the last, you know, five or six hours. And um, we're sat there, and these rounds start coming in, and there's a sort of a, a little copse adjacent to this uh, building complex we're in. And these rounds are going off and I'm meeting my wafer going, mm, this is not, oh, that's a bit close. And, uh, oh, it's even closer. And finally, they're right on top of us. And uh, one of our friends, uh, ex-Navy still, he gets hit, hit in the arse by a bit of concrete, which is quite, quite amusing. He dropped his phone as well, which he, which he... <laughs> but anyway, that's another story. And uh, we're thinking, we need to get out of here. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a funny video to watch. And so also that's, that's, that, that, that video shows where you were crossing the night of the UAP sighting a few days later. A few days before, yeah, yes, because so that, that's, that, why that, I, yeah, that's why I yeah, that's why I see the UAP, because I was worried about the sky with drones following us to the footbridge. Right. If that makes sense. So I was, yeah. So roll forward now. So basically, we've 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 described the location. It's obviously a very hot zone. Yeah. When you go when you go through there, you are worried because of the previous yeah. day's engagement. You're worried about being mortared and targeted with drones and artillery. That's correct. And so a few days later, you basically come to that same position. It's night time, and you're coming back from the Russian lines back across the bridge into Erbil. What happens? Well. Just going to correct you on slightly, Ross. The it was about we crossed about a mile further up the river on the footbridge, and we got we got uh, back to that sort of the the Irping side of the of of the river, and we're waiting there for our time to cross. 
and I'm looking at the sky and we're all sort of an all-rounder fence waiting to cross. And all of a sudden, because I was looking at the sky, I see three um, dimly lit um, orange amber orbs or burnt amber, as I say, they're like a brownie orange colour. But there was only, because I had to sort of rub my eyes and thought, am I seeing things? Because I thought I was tired. And I looked up and I did see these, these three orbs in a loose triangle shape. And they was there for three or four seconds. And the next thing, there was a, a, a bright light that appeared in the sky. And it was about, I would say, a thousand foot up and um, probably between 30 and 40 feet long. And it was a bright light like a camera flash, but constant. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, what the hell is that? It's not a drone. It's not a plane. It's not a flare. It's not nothing associated with a battlefield. And the, and the way it, it flew across the sky, it, it maintained its altitude. It maintained its speed, but its speed was only about, I'd say, airspeed about 30 knots. So it's quite slow, but there was no sound. There was no characteristics of a plane. Did it, you hold, know. A hover? Did it hold a hover at any stage? Mm. No, it didn't. Uh, now, I've done, uh, I have done aerial photography from a helicopter, and you fly at a certain height, a certain speed, so you maintain, so you can get a good uh, view for your camera when you're filming. And it looked like it was doing some sort of reconnaissance. It looked like it was following the river, and it was basically the other side of the river we were going to, the home bank, as it were, the Kiev side there was a defensive line of Ukrainian positions that followed that river all the way across, just in case the Russians took up in the next sort of stop line would have been that line of defences. And it was absolutely incredible. I cannot, I had to pinch myself and other people see it as well. And um, yeah, and nobody reacted to it. We didn't fire at it or anything like that. We're just in awe going, what is that? Uh, let me let me just make sure that I've got this in my head. So yeah, you're out there and you're looking up and you're seeing these three lights originally. Uh, yeah. I don't know if these three lights are moving or do they move into a position? No, they they. I was I just happened to be looking at a portion of the sky because I was worried about drones and getting mortared from right. what happened to the previous days. And as I was looking at Port Scott portion of sky, three, let's say, orbs come into view from nothing. So just weren't there, there. And then from there, they was there for about three or four seconds. They disappeared. And simultaneously, a, like I said, this craft um, just appeared, just bright light appeared. And, and then why, why, do you say, why do you say craft, John? Like, give us a, an idea of the form that you saw. You initially described a very bright light. Why do you say craft? Yeah. Because the only thing what I know what creates that bright light in the sky is a flare. Now, if I know the characteristics of a flare, or we'd call them a shimuli or parallel, or whatever you want to call them. Now, it wasn't any of those. And when you go through, well, my sort of military thinking, you go through a process, what is that? Is it this? Is it that? And the reason I say craft, because it's maintained an altitude. It's fl flew at a constant speed. And I, I, I'm you, only some, go on. Did you see structure to it, though? I mean, when you say craft, I, are we talking yeah, about? Well, yeah, yeah I, I've. I'll, I'll just elaborate on that. The The way the light pattern was, obviously, when, when you see any lights, you can see if it's a headlight of a car, you can see it's round, can't you? But you can't actually see the car. So what I was looking at almost looked, not almost, it did. It did look um, a long oval shape. Um, so higher in the middle and then tapered off at the ends. Like but, a disc? Uh, possibly. Uh, it, even like the um, 
I, I was thinking about it sort of today, like the, like the uh, I think there's a Calvern sighting, that sort of diamond shape maybe. I don't know. But the lights, if you can imagine that shape, but mega bright lights coming from it, it would create a sort of that sort of shape, wouldn't it? So I'm only surmising. But So for, was the light from within the object or was it around the object? It was the object. You, you know, it was just so bright in the sky. I cannot say how bright it was. It, I can't put it into words. It was so bright. Okay, so let me let me just again. So you've got these three things making what amounts to a triangle. Would you? Yeah, yeah, a loose triangle. Yeah, it looks like a triangle, and at the same time, they disappear. And at that same instant, as they're disappearing, this craft or bright yeah, it, object to, appears to me and i'm you know what do i know it looked like a door it was coming through a door so it opened with the orbs and then next minute you've got a craft there or the bright light now that's interesting because if you go through ufo literature <clears throat> there have been cases where people have described what they the only word they could come up with was there was a door in the sky and something came through it. So when yeah. you use the word door, are you are you talking in a literal sense that it looked like a door, or are you saying it was it felt like a doorway? I can't put my finger on a description of it. All I can say is when the orbs went out, the bright light come on, and it looked like what do you know what I mean? Because it was so instantaneous the lights went out on the orbs and then this bright light was moving across the sky do you think this object you clearly seem to do you think this object was intelligently controlled yeah because things like you take anything what flies in the sky if it flies at a, a, a rate of knots stays at the same height you know that to me is intelligent you know so it uh, wasn't a, a balloon, an illuminated balloon or a barrage balloon or something like that? No, 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 no. Um, and not only that, you're over a battlefield and you don't show your hand. You don't go, oh, look at me in the sky, come and shoot me. And, not, and the other thing that I've sort of mulled about, because of air defence systems, you don't fly a 1,000 feet up at 30 knots because you won't be there for much longer. And so why didn't somebody shoot at it? I mean, either on the Russian side or on your side? Because my, my jaw was on the floor. I didn't know what it was. Because your brain, your military brain, I was going through, right, is it a drone? No. Don't, you don't see drones in Russia until it's too late. Is it a, sorry, in Ukraine, uh, is it a plane? No, there's no noise. It's moving too slow. There's no, you know, flight characteristics there's no sort of trail behind it for, you know, afterburners or anything like that. No noise? No noise at all. No. Quiet, silent. Well, I just want to uh, clarify one other thing then. You said that the uh, <clears throat> Bravo team had eight people on, including yourself. Yeah. Were, were all eight of you in this location at the same time, and did the other seven see what you saw? They see it. The only thing I'm not sure about if they saw the orbs, because the orbs were very, very um, there one minute and gone, you know, a couple of seconds later. And I believe I'm the only one who see the orbs because I was looking in that portion of the sky at that time. I've not questioned everybody, but I have, when we come back in off the op, I spoke to the people I was bunking with and we was like, ah, that's a UAP. Is that, that was an American lad, and I think it was an Australian lad. It was an Australian lad. And we just didn't know what it was. John uh, Ross had mentioned it. Avi Loeb had written an article recently about <clears throat> the various things that the Ukrainian report was saying were unidentified flying objects they were seeing. I think they called them some, one of them they called, um, what did they call them? Phantoms. And what was the other thing? I, I don't remember, but, but so they, and, and Loeb's uh, analysis was, well, the last place I'd ever want to study UFOs is in uh, a battlefield condition, like in Ukraine, because they got all manner of shit flying around 
there. How would you know what's what? But you are a trained reconnaissance person. So I assume that you know pretty much the outline of most things that we find in the sky. And I, I'd like a description of your training to identify things in the sky so that we can appreciate how you are saying this one stands out as not being something that's supposed to be there. Shape is, is the main thing because it was quite close. You know, it was a thousand feet up, probably less than half a mile away. So is it a threat is going through my head? Everyone else has said, because you don't know, do I need to take cover? Is that an incoming missile, that bright light? Is it, you know, a multitude of things? Do you think it was interested in the battlefield? Yes, I do. I rationalise everything. And um, just that's what I would do. If I was taking pictures or interested in something on the ground from a helicopter, that's what I would do. You know, perhaps not in, on a battlefield like that, but perhaps on a, uh, a covert reconnaissance mission in Northern Ireland or um, something like that, if you want to get pictures of a target, that's how you would do it. I could honestly say it was anything that I've ever seen. From the moment that you saw the orbs, which you said lasted not long, and then suddenly you've got this other thing there, what what amount of time are we talking about? I'm, I reckon because of the speed... And the terrain, obviously, it, it disappeared from our view. It didn't go out. It just disappeared because of the terrain. But I would suggest probably anything between three to five minutes. So wow. you had eyes on it for a while. Yeah, so it just went away. And it was like a, you know, as it disappeared, it looked like a star or a, or a planet because it just, it was that far away. Obvious question, John. I mean, um, yeah. you've obviously taken videos while you were behind the lines filming next to the Russians. How yeah. come there's no video or photography of what you saw if you were watching it for five minutes? Because we were worried about getting shelled and being killed was more important than the UFO at the time, in the sky at the time. Um, obviously, you have, to, you have to remember the situation we was in. We wasn't in, you know, it wasn't in a park in London somewhere looking up at the sky, stargazing. We were worried about, we had more important things like you know, our own safety and protection. So we're all in up all around the fence. We're looking out for Russians. That just happened to be, turn up. That wasn't that wasn't our sort of main point of concern at the time. I, that makes, uh, can I, can I was going to say that makes completely good sense. But my question would be, after this was over and you guys got back to where you came from, and now you're you're not going to be shot or killed, hopefully – in that scenario, you must have had a time where the, the group of you said, holy crap, did you see that thing? What what was that conversation like? And we just don't know what it was. It was just like, because of the, the, the speed of the ops we was on, we didn't have time really to, you know, like sit down and we're having a chat now about it and I'm talking about it. It was an afterthought. It wasn't important at the time. It's been like a splinter on my brain ever since I, I, I saw it. John, I know from your service history, um, which you very kindly shared with me, that you've seen in combat zones and in different parts of different military installations, you've seen a lot of military equipment. You're very, very well briefed as a reconnaissance surveillance person on what the West and indeed our potential enemies have. Is there any technology that you can think of that can explain what you saw? Um, no, no, honestly, Ross, there isn't. And, you know, I know that on this phenomena, people say, was it, you know, military black technology or something like that. But what would be the purpose of that at that particular time over that area showing itself to maybe the Russians as well as the Ukrainians? What would be the mission of that particular craft if it was a black craft? Now, just just so I'm clear, one other thing that I think that you've given me in a map, it clearly tracks the river, which is the yeah. dividing line between the Russians in the, I think, the south or the east, and the uh, Kiev in the in the north. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, it was. There was people in Irpin from the Ukrainians, but that line was the next defensive line if the Russians took Irpin. 
So that river would have been a, an obstacle for the Russians to get across. That's why the bridges have gone. So that would have been, so that UAP flew far in the river with basically the Russians on the um, eastern side and the Ukrainians on the western side. This is a key moment in the battle for Kiev, isn't it? This is one of the days where it's a deciding point for whether or not the Russians are going to take Kiev. If Erpin would have fell, the next step was Kiev. So this is a very strategically important moment in the battle to help save Ukraine. Yes, it was, yeah. John, you've done a, a pretty good job of maintaining your professional distance and telling us what you know and saying what you don't know about the whole sighting. My question is, let's you, you, clearly, if this happened in April, there's been a number of months where you've been living with this moment. And I'm wondering, in your quiet moments inside your own head, as you try to make sense of it, what do you think was going on? And again, I know that part, this, you've, you've laid out yeah, yeah. What, what happened very clearly and journalistically. Now I'm asking you to just tell us what your thought process was. What do you think you saw and why was it there? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Um, my thought process, as I've already mentioned, it definitely wasn't military. It definitely wasn't a military item of equipment that I'd ever seen, ever. Do you think it was a solid object, John? I'm not going to guess. All I can say is, like I said earlier, the shape of it appeared to be, you know, a long oval with tapered ends, you know, and it was a very bright light. And that's all I can say. You certainly know your your share of things that are flying around in the sky. And I think your case demonstrates something that people have talked about for years. So I just want to get your thoughts on this. Um, clearly, anything of the capacity to do some of the things that UAP have been described as doing could figure out how not to shine bright lights in the night sky. Right. Yeah. And yet and yet they do quite often in terms of their descriptions. Why would somebody shine bright lights in a war zone? They wouldn't, and that's and that's the thing. It's not, you know, unless it's a you know a very uh, a deception plan for some for something, but nothing happened. It just a bright light appeared from, like I said, the, the three orbs and flew across the sky at a set altitude, a set speed, and went out of sight. There was no reason that I can possibly think of why it was in that battle space. And did you report this to any of the command structure upstairs? No. <laughs> no. And that was... One, Why not? Um, one is because we were foreigners, and I didn't want to go to Ukraine, you know, and uh, say, look, I've just seen this bright light in the sky. They'd be like, what have you been smoking, dude? Off you go, first plane back. Um, I've sat at home since I've been back, and I've been reflecting quite rightly as you mentioned, Bryce, what I, what I see. And uh, it, it just got to the point, uh, you know, about a week ago, whenever it was, I just had to, you know, just get it off my chest. It's been a mad experience for, for me. You know, I'm I'm, I'm coming on this programme. I, I, I love your programme, guys. I've seen it before and everything else. But it's my reputation as well. Mm. That I'm, 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 I'm hanging out there. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some flack for it, I'm sure, from... Uh, Mates, well, let's talk about that, important. John. I mean, the, the bottom line is the problem is that there is this stigma. I mean, Bryce and I interviewed Ryan Graves, the um, fighter pilot, former fighter yeah. pilot, a few weeks ago. And Ryan talked about that same stigma. stigma. But really, ultimately, what you're talking about is a potential national security issue. I mean, you're there on a battlefield. You're, you're literally in a position where days earlier you've come under artillery and mortar fire. For good reason. You're yeah. very, very worried about being detected. The Russians are trying to kill you. And then all of a sudden, there's this weird, highly illuminated object hovering a thousand feet above you. By any definition, that's a military concern, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I'm not, I, I don't know what the, um, the Ukrainians have on their radar, which they would have had around Kiev. Was that UAP picked up? I, I have no idea. Um, and that might be something to look into from your end. 
John, personal question, just because I'm always intrigued. There's always a personal part of this. What does your wife think about all this? What is she, What conversations have you had? When did you tell her? What does she think? What does she think about you being public? You know, talk to us. Um, she doesn't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. We broke some news here. We may not have broken news to the world, but we broke it to his wife. That's good. Yeah. All right. So, um, no, she, she doesn't know yet, but I'm sure she will soon. Well, what did she say? You've told her, though, about it, haven't you? No, or not no? yet. No. no. This All right. Okay. Um, so this, 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 this will be it. Prior to this event happening to you, John, what what was your thought about the UFO UAP issue? I've always believed that we're not alone. Only because if you do, if you, I can't remember what the equation is now, but if you do the maps of the size of the universe, you know, just that simple equation, we're not alone. I've always looked up at the sky, you know, I've seen satellites and stuff like that. Been, oh, is, that, is that something? Is that something? But no, it's always been a satellite. And this was this sighting was totally, totally different. And so, John, tell me this: so the one thing I'm very happy to hear. <laughs> you were you were listening and watching Need to Know episodes in Ukraine, yeah. weren't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, um, obviously, uh, in in the uh, in the time we had, you know, between ops, um, we had one of the um, Elon Sky link thingies so we could get internet um so that yeah i'm, I'm just interested in something like uh like lou and uh jeremy you know i've always listened to what they they want to say and it it's it's very interesting it's very interesting the guy the work you guys do behind the scenes because it's not just you know the sightings it's also the 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 mountain of paperwork the government being a plaque, well, all governments being a plane out the backside to, to release stuff and trying to link. It's, it's like it's like having a jigsaw puzzle and you nearly completed it, but your little brother's hid five of the pieces all over the house and you're trying to find them to finish a puzzle. But I think we're, we're, we're close to finishing that puzzle, but it's going to take a lot of work to do. Uh, John, when we started uh, the show and you were you were able to listen to what we were talking about, you know, we were talking about the idea that the energy behind Congress seems to be national security, that they're they're talking about. We need to know this, not because we're all that interested in are we alone, but we're interested in are we safe? Right. So people have different responses when they see something anomalous. Some people are in awe. Some people are afraid. Some people don't see it at all, uh, while other people may be looking at the same thing and seeing it. What was your overriding sense? Do, are, do you feel we have something to be concerned about? Do you feel that there is a threat behind the kind of thing that you saw? At that time, I, I didn't feel, bearing in mind I was in a, a war zone for that sighting, I didn't feel threatened at all. I was just, I was just in awe of it, uh, to be honest. But in, in general, I suppose the only sort of safety issue, if you've got uncontrolled things flying around in the sky, you know, you've got aircraft, helicopters, you know, you've got weather balloons, you've got drones, something sometimes going to get hit and fall out of the sky. So that's the only sort of threat I see, um, well, I can perceive, with with um, anomalies in the sky. Well, I, for one, John, applaud. I'm sure Bryce does as well. I, I think it's commendable that you've approached it and come forward. And I think what you've described of what you saw on a battlefield in Ukraine, on the outskirts of Kiev, a peak moment in the war, a decisive moment in the battle to save Kiev from Russian invasion, I think it's very significant. And just maybe there was, just maybe there was some non-human intelligence taking an interest in what is probably going to be remembered as a very important moment in history. And I, I want yeah. to thank you very, very much yeah. for, for sharing right. your account with us. People in your position often get thanked for their service. I want to thank you for your observation. I want to thank you for coming forward with it. And I, I hope that the lesson that this very show makes 
and that your appearance makes is that we're going to need more of this, not less. We need more people speaking in the public forum and not behind closed doors and not for reports that never get seen by the public. So what you've done, uh, I, well, I'm just going to speak up for you to your wife. Oh, oh thanks. I'm glad that John did this. He's a true hero to come forward like this. And I hope you take her out to dinner and, and, and yeah. give her the bottom line. I, and, I can hear a rap in the tinfoil hat now. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, we're all we're all we can all be accused of that. But listen, I also do want to thank you for your service. I mean, we all watch on with horror at what's unfolding in Ukraine, and we feel yeah. powerless. And it's wonderful that a person with your skill set was able to go over there and have the courage to go and do what you did, which was incredibly brave behind the lines. And I do know I'm in touch with other members of your team who hopefully in future episodes of Need to Know will be able to corroborate what you saw. And uh, really just want to say thank you. Thank you very, very much for uh, nice. for joining us. And I, I think we actually have to bring it to an end, Bryce, that even though this has been a, a very compelling episode, uh, yeah. we're, we're coming to an end of uh, this episode of Need to Know. But I can assure you we will be covering this issue. We will be approaching the Ukrainian government and asking them if they had radar. We'll try and get some more details on exactly when this incident occurred. Bryce and I will probably put a, an article up on uh, the Trail of the Sources Medium page that we operate that gives more detail of this account. And um, I think that brings this episode of Need to Know to an end. And thank you very much to you, John Chapman. And welcome. We'll be back again with another ep of Need to Know very soon.